Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. We're on an extended journey looking at the will of man. Is it free? Is it bound up? What is involved in man's will when it relates to salvation in Christ? We'll talk about that next here on Abounding Grace. There are those who would tell us that man's will is utterly dead, incapable of making any move towards God, while others would assert and defend that indeed it is up to man's free will that God has given them to determine whether they would choose Christ or not. What is the truth? God's Word is not vague on the subject. In fact, it's quite explicit and clear. And we'll spend the rest of this week here on Abounding Grace taking a look at God's Word and the issue of free will. Join us. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, here's Pastor Gary Wagner with this edition of Abounding Grace. Proverbs 16, 9. The mind of man plans his way oh so carefully, but ultimately it is the Lord who directs his steps. You say, not me. I'm strong-willed and determined and so wise that when I plan my ways, God nor anyone else will interrupt them or direct them. I am the master of my own fate. Oh, beloved, if you say such a thing before God, you are just daring him to show whose will is really ultimate in your life. In Revelation 4, verse 11, we read, Worthy art thou, O Lord, and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou didst create all things, and because of thy will they existed and were created. God willed that you be alive, and so you are alive. And someday God is going to will that you die, and you will die. God's will is, the, is ultimate in all of creation. Exodus 34, verse 24, an amazing verse. If you notice, first up in verses 21 through 23, God is demanding the Israelites to go down to Jerusalem annually to celebrate certain religious festivals. And when they did that, sometimes they had to walk several days to get there and leave behind their houses and their farms unattended in the middle of Canaan, which was surrounded by all these pagan, bloodthirsty Canaanites. So it's a pretty serious thing to leave everything behind and be gone for a week to celebrate a religious festival, not knowing whether your farm would be intact when you got back. Because all of the Canaanites around it. But notice what God says in verse 24. For I, for I will drive out nations before you and enlarge your borders, and no man shall covet your land when you go up three times a year to appear before the Lord your God. No man shall covet your land. Now, 
Think about that for a minute. How many muscles do you have to move to covet? None. It is something down inside. And God says, it is my will that the Canaanites will not covet your land while you are gone because their wills are governed by mine. Now, can you say about anyone else in this room, you will not covet what I own? Of course, I can't keep you from coveting what I own. But God can say, I will keep you from coveting their land, and brother, you will not covet. You won't even will to covet because of the ultimacy and the sovereignty of the will of God. Now let's look at 2 Samuel 17 as I try to impress you with how sovereign God's will is and how ultimate it is in not man's will. Chapter 17, verse 14. Samuel, 2 Samuel, chapter, 14, verse, chapter 17, verse 14. Then Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to thwart the good counsel of Ahithophel in order that the Lord might bring calamity on Absalom. Now what is this saying? It says that Absalom considered the counsel of Hushite, the archite, as good, wise counsel. And the counsel of Ahithophel as lousy and unwise counsel. He willed to make that decision. He desired to make that choice, and he did. He willfully chose. No one made him do it. It was of his own free will. He chose the counsel of Hushai and rejected the counsel of Ahithophel. Why? Because God had ordained that he might bring calamity on Absalom. God governed his choices. And yet Absalom was held responsible for that choice. He made a choice, and that choice was determined ultimately by the will of God, yet at the same time, he was held responsible or accountable for that choice because it proceeded out of the nature of his heart. You say, Gary, that can't be true because it doesn't make sense to me. That can't be true because it doesn't fit together in my mind. I mean, how in the world... Can the same choice be a free choice on my part and a predetermined expression of the sovereign will of God on his part? Uh, this just doesn't fit together in my mind, so it can't be true. And if you're saying that, I say as lovingly as I can to you, who are you? Are you telling me that if something told to us explicitly in Scripture doesn't fit together in your fallible mind, it can't be true? Oh, I hope not. You see, the issue always is, what does the Bible say? And if something seems all fouled up in our minds, but it is what the Bible says, the failure, the inconsistency, the problem is not in Scripture, my friends. The problem is in us. So on one hand, you have Absalom being held accountable and having to suffer the consequences because of his free choice. 
And on the other hand, you have God sovereignly willing that Absalom make a certain choice so that he can bring his predetermined plan to fruition in Absalom's life. And the point I'm trying to make is that you have the natural liberty to choose whatever you want to choose, but you must understand your will. And this is the most important thing you're going to hear all day. Your will is neither ultimate, sovereign, nor autonomous. And when man says free will today, he doesn't mean free will. He means sovereign will, ultimate will. And you and I must never stop emphasizing the fact that the will of God, not the will of man, is ultimate in this universe. The will of God, not the will of man, is ultimate even in the life and the heart of man himself. Man has an ability of freedom to choose whatever he wants to choose, but man's will is not free from the control of the will of God. Your will is not free from the control of the will of God. In fact, it is God's decree, originated in His sovereign will and good pleasure, that guaranteed mankind would be created as men and women and not as puppets. So understand, though you have a free will, though you have a natural liberty, though you have the freedom to choose whatever your heart tells you to choose, nevertheless, you do not have a sovereign will. Modern man believes he can choose. Even men in the church that God has given him the liberty to choose whatever he wants to do, and God cannot even do a thing about it. Now, beloved, that's not free will. That is sovereign will. That is shaking my puny fist in the face of God. God, you may be God, but you will not control my will. Okay, will to live forever. Go ahead, show God that you are God. And right here and now, will, you will never die. Prove to God that you have a sovereign will and that you will be happy without disease and be filthy rich forever. Anybody? Go ahead, do it. You, you see the, fu the futility of this? You have a will, but it is not an ultimate will. God does, and He can do whatever He wants to do. And He can will to do with you whatever He wants to do with you, whether you like it or not. He can do with us, to us, by us, upon us, for us, whatever He will, because He alone is God. Man does not have a will, does, man does not have a will despite God. He has a free will because of God. Now, that doesn't mean you're a zero. You are capable of making very significant choices. You are capable of making decisions and choices that will affect you and your family forever. But the reason you're not a zero, and the reason you can make important decisions today is because a sovereign God has predestined from all eternity that you would never be anything less than the image of God, fully accountable and fully responsible for all of your actions. Let's look at another passage of Scripture. And this one brings out these two emphases. There are two things when you read the Bible faithfully 
that will hit you on every single page. And that is the total sovereignty of God, the ultimacy of his will, and the total accountability of man. You will be confronted with it, either in an express statement or in the tone of the passage, that you are fully accountable for God. You are responsible for every word you speak, every emotion you feel, for every decision you make, for every action you perform, for every bit of your behavior. All of your thoughts, preferences, choices, decisions, you are accountable before God for all of those things. And someday you're going to have to stand before the judge of heaven and earth. and You're going to give an account as to why you made the choices you made and why you decided what you decided, and why you did what you did, and why you preferred what you preferred. All of us, whether we believe it or not, will have to stand before God and give an account of how we lived this life. That's how responsible we are. You can't pass the buck to insanity. You can't pass the buck to poor DNA. You can't pass the buck to an evil environment. You can't pass the buck to poverty or riches. You just can't, beloved. You and I are held responsible for everything. In Matthew 12, this is where Jesus goes with this subject of the will, being influenced by the heart. He goes right to our accountability. Matthew 12, 33 and following. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You heard of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak what is good, for the mouth speaks of, what that, of that which fills the heart? The good man out of his good treasure brings forth what is good. The evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. And I say to you, that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. Do you see what Jesus says? He says your heart determines what you are, and you will be held accountable for what you are and for what your heart dictates, for what you do, and the choices you have made, and the words that you speak. The total accountability of man is something that is emphasized on every page of Scripture. We do not believe in limited liability when it comes to our responsibility before God. On the other hand, you have the total sovereignty of God on every page. God is in control. God has absolutely everything under control, even causing the wrath of the wicked to please Him. God does everything according to the good pleasure of His will. Now you say, Gary, how in the world can I be fully accountable for all of my actions freely chosen by me and at the same time those choices and those actions be sovereignly determined by Almighty God? How in the world can that be? I don't know. But it's revealed as such in God's holy and infallible word that every choice you make is your own. And someday you will have to stand before God and every choice you make has been predestined by God. Another way of asking it is, how in the world can God be judge of us and sovereign king over us at the same time? How can, on one hand, God judge us for what we do and on the other hand govern everything we do? Well, I can't fit it together in a nice, neat little package. 
But it's obvious that both of these teachings are found there in the Word of God. We live in a universe where if anything good happens, God gets all of the credit. And if anything bad happens, we get all the blame. You see, we live in a universe where God is king and foreordains whatsoever comes to pass. In this universe, God is judge and you will be held accountable for all of your actions. And you say, preacher, I don't want to live in that kind of universe. And my answer to you is, dear brothers and sisters, I am sorry, but you have no other universe. And there is no other God with whom you have anything to do. In Isaiah 10, I'm going to show you how man's accountability or free will and God's sovereignty are brought together in the same verses and same passages of the Bible as if there is no problem whatsoever. And there is no problem whatsoever. You just accept them both. And then the problem will be resolved because you must realize God's thoughts are greater than ours. Now what we have in Isaiah 10 is Isaiah preaching to Israel at a time when Israel was so apostate. It had wandered away from God and was so backslidden, so fallen away from God that they lived more like the devil than they did the children of God. So decade after decade had gone by with God sending prophets to call them to repentance and warning them if they didn't repent, God would judge them. And they still refused to give in and bow down and repent. So the time of God's patience ended. And God did what He said He would do if they wouldn't repent. And He said He would raise up this bloodthirsty, totalitarian pagan nation of Assyria, and He would bring Israel down, bring Assyria down to Israel, and use them as an instrument to stomp Israel into the ground like mud in the streets, to punish them for their refusal to repent and obey the prophet's message. That's the background of this. Now let's read it. Isaiah 10, beginning in verse 5. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger. Stop. Now let's make sure we understand this. Was Assyria a godly nation? Were they a bunch of sweet, nice Christians? No, Assyria was a warlike, militaristic nation bent on conquering the world. They were cruel, bloodthirsty, and torturous. They made ISIS seem almost angelic. The Assyrians just loved conquering nations and plundering cities and killing people. Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, and the staff in whose hands is my indignation. I send it against a godly nation and commission it against the people of my fury to capture booty, to plunder, to trample them down like mud in the street. It says this great totalitarian militaristic nation, Assyria, is simply an instrument in God's hands. God says Assyria is the rod by which I'm going to express my wrath upon Israel for its rebellion against me. He says he will raise up Assyria and bring it against Israel and trample them like mud in the streets. Now notice the next verse. Yet it, that is Assyria, does not so intend. 
nor does it plan so in its heart, but rather its purpose is to destroy and cut off many nations. Now God says here, just because I said I'm using the Assyrians as my rod of anger, doesn't mean that all these Assyrians are over here praising me, that they get to be used by me. Oh, praise God, he is using us. God is going to use us to carry out his will. No, they had absolutely no knowledge of what they were to do. They don't intend to do God's will here. They are just following their own free will. Assyria is just carrying out the bloodthirsty desires of their hearts. But God says, I'm controlling this whole thing. Now here you have the sovereignty of God. That God is able to control an entire pagan nation without it even knowing it. And getting it to accomplish exactly what God wills for it to accomplish. While the whole time Assyria is just doing what it wills to do. And that is to massacre people. Now notice what God is going to do to Assyria after it stomps Israel into the ground. Verse 12. So it will be that when the Lord has completed all of his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the pomp of his haughtiness. God says, I'm going to raise up Assyria to be my instrument to carry out my will in destroying Israel. And then when Assyria has destroyed Israel, I'm going to punish Israel for destroying Assyria for destroying Israel. Did you see the weaving of the total absolute sovereignty of God with the total accountability of man? They're both right here in this story, beloved. You have a will. And you're going to have to stand before God sometime and give an account for what you have willed in this life. And yet at the same time, your will is not a sovereign will. There's only one sovereign will in this universe, and that is the sovereign will of the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, our triune God. And if you try to fight against that will, you try to resist and say to God, I am the master of my fate, then, beloved, you are putting yourself on a suicidal course with Almighty God. The only God there is is a God who does with us whatever He will. He is a God who has demanded that we bring our wills into conformity with His will, or we perish. And He is a God who has sovereignly willed to save sinners like you and me. God is not willing that any of His people should perish, but all of them should come to repentance. Do you know what that means? That means if God has willed and predetermined your eternal salvation, it is impossible for you ever to be lost. Because God always, always accomplishes what He wills. You say, Gary, I believe that. But what scares me is how can I know that God has willed my eternal salvation? Because if he has not willed my eternal salvation, I understand I will be lost forever, and I can't even bear that thought. How can I know that God has willed that I will be saved or am saved? Acts 13.48 says, As many as were foreordained to eternal life believed in Jesus. 
It's that simple. As many as God willed to be saved, believed in Jesus. Do you know what God's will for you is? For the rest of your life and throughout all eternity, it is to believe in Jesus and be faithful to Him in the little things every day. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Repent of your sins and rest upon Him alone and surrender to His Lordship. Worship Him, serve Him, love Him above everything else. Follow Jesus. Because the Bible says the only people who follow Jesus are those who are foreordained to eternal life. And if there is a love in your heart for Christ, it is because God has willed for it to be there. So, beloved, praise Him throughout all eternity. And that is Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. As we close out our time today, I'd leave you with our address, phone number, and our website, 408-866-07. Or visit our website and leave us an email, reformedheritage.org. We also have past messages available, uh, an extensive library of audio that you can tap into at any time for free, right there at our website, again, reformedheritage.org. If you'd rather write to us, the address is Abounding Grace, PMB 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That is here in Los Gatos. The zip code is 95032. Normally, we'd invite you to join us for worship, but since we have been suspended because of the COVID-19 crisis, we invite you to visit our website instead and pick out a couple of recent messages that Pastor Gary has delivered here at Reformed Heritage Church. Again, reformedheritage.org. We'll also give you updates at that website as to when we return to normal worship. And you're always welcome to call us as well for that kind of information, 408 866 5607. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. <music> 